Amen. I love that. You guys can be seated. Thank you guys for leading us to the throne room of God and giving him praise. And now we get to do some, something special. Let's open up uh, our Bibles, open up God's word together and go with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around. You can just get their attention. They would love to give you one. If you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to keep that. And uh, we love to study it together. Or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're taking the entire month of November, kind of starting this new series called The Power of Thanksgiving. Now, I realize that, that we have been, this year, we've been working through the book of Exodus. Some of you are anxious to jump back into that. We'll get back into it in the beginning of the new year and take us all the way to Easter. Uh, but uh, we're, we're taking a little bit of a break, and I think appropriately so, because while we were in the, uh, the summer, we left the children of Israel out in the wilderness, and they're wandering around. They're not doing so hot, because they're really struggling with their attitudes and, and, and struggling with complaining, and, and we felt God was kind of doing a work in us on that and wanting to make sure that we're, we're not just complaining and, and, and having bad, attitude, bad attitudes all the time and really recognizing all that we have to be thankful for. Are, are you a thankful person? Do you, have a, do you have a thankful heart? Do you have a thankful attitude? Hey, listen, I want to tell you, there's, there's a few reasons that we have uh, to be thankful. Uh, like maybe uh, this one, uh, we, we, we had a little bit of reason to celebrate this last week. Do we have this here on the screen here? We have, we have uh, reason to be thankful. There it is. How many of you were thankful for that this week? The Nationals won the World Series. All right, come on, let me see it. Baby Shark, there it is. Lo love it, love it. We had some fun. Or uh, it's been a fun week because uh, maybe your house looks a little bit like this. Is this what your living room looks like? It's got piles of candy from professional trick-or-treaters that gone. Like, how can you not be thankful when you have that much sugar in the house, right? Uh, or um, I, I, some of you will appreciate this, others will not. But uh, I received a text from Phil, uh, go ahead and play this video. He texted me this and it just said, it's time. By the way, this was like a month ago that he texted me this. And like some of you, that's like blasphemous. Others of you are super thankful. It's time to bust out the Christmas music. And I, I listen, I love Christmas. I'm so thankful for Christmas. But first, there's Thanksgiving, right? And, and, and we, I, I love this time of year. This is one of my favorites. It's a time for us to just be thankful for all that, uh, that we have, family, friends, home, job, uh, you know, uh, the way that God provides, all the blessings that we have. It's incredibly important for us uh, to really be thankful. But what we want to do over the next few weeks is, is take a look at some of the practical implications of uh, having a heart that is thankful to God. I want to tell you that, that, that a thankful heart impacts so much. In fact, some things that, that we're going to look at that, that might even be surprising to you. Uh, uh, next week, we'll look at uh, how the power of Thanksgiving impacts adoption and foster care. And, and then we'll get into uh, uh, cheerful giving and investing and, and, and joy instead of stress and anxiety. It just, it just impacts so much. And, and I want to help you kind of connect the dots on why this is significant. And so uh, this morning, we are looking at the power of Thanksgiving for purity, the power of thanksgiving for uh, sexual purity. And I know just um, saying that, some of you instantly um, feel like a knot in your stomach. Um, 
because this hits home and, and maybe um, you feel like you've been caught for a while in the trap of, of, of sexual immorality. You feel like you just can't get out and you've you know, asked forgiveness and told yourself never again a thousand times before, but you failed so soon after again that you've kind of almost just given up hope that change is even uh, possible. Maybe, uh, maybe it's the, uh, the, the struggle of pornography, whether it's like a daily thing, or maybe it's just kind of once a week or once a month, or maybe it's just kind of an occasional thing, but you know that uh, it is not pleasing to Christ, or uh, maybe it's um, using some form of technology or social media or anything that's available to us just for uh, gratification or, or maybe it's kind of impure uh, relationships and, and, and maybe you've been kind of flirting around on the edge for a little while trying to justify your actions and convince yourself that it's not really bad or uh, minimizing what you've been doing or maybe comparing it to somebody else like it's, a, you know, that's worse and so maybe it's, uh, what, what I've been caught in is not as bad as that believing that maybe I'm not hurting anybody else in that, or, or maybe you've been kind of on the receiving end of this and you felt the sting of uh, unfaithfulness um, or had to bear the weight of um, someone, someone else's struggle with this. Um, I just want to tell you this. I know the, the pain and uh, the guilt of impurity too. I get that. Um, but I have also tasted the sweetness of, of freedom and forgiveness and the joy in finding that Jesus really is better. And that's not me boasting in anything but Christ and, and in his power. And, and I want that so badly for more of us here. And, and I'm not naive to think that this doesn't uh, impact us. And if um, statistics and research are to be believed, then it's uh, perhaps even a majority of people in this room I'm struggling with that. And so what I want to do as, as, as we approach this, I want to approach this with great humility and, and great dependence on the Lord. But we also want to just be, have the courage to take an honest look at the truth of, uh, of what God's word really has to say here, uh, but, but also approach it with hope. I, 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 I want to hope that more of us can just start to be, begin experiencing such grace and freedom that, that maybe right now you don't even believe is, is, is possible, but it can be found in Christ alone. It can. I just want that so badly for us. So let me give you a big idea. Um, this is what I want us to see here in Ephesians chapter 5 before, before we get into it. Uh, note this. As your heart grows in thankfulness for Jesus impurity will lose its appeal. I just want you to get this, that as we uh, turn our eyes to Christ and we begin to see that he really is better, we would, we would want him. And, and the impurity, the things of this world, the things that are offered, the things that are all around us, it's, it's just like not appealing to us anymore. So it, it's, it's thanksgiving instead of impurity. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 5, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, and we're, we're going to be looking primarily at verses 3 and 4, but I want to get kind of a running start into this. And so uh, let's start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be, you see it? Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Father, I just, um, we, we uh, come before you just really humble and, and recognizing our dependence on you uh, for this. And I'm, I'm so thankful for promises that you've given to us in your word, uh, that, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And uh, Lord, I pray that, that more of us would experience that, that kind of satisfaction, that kind of filling. And uh, I pray, I know that, that, that some feel like they've just been trapped in this and, and this is impacting so many of our lives and, and it, we're just surrounded by it. But uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for this truth that you reminded me of in Psalm 40 that, that you, uh, you drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. You set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. You put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And Lord, I pray that that would be true. That would be our story, that you would lift us out of this, put our feet on a rock, and help us to sing your praise. And Lord, we're thankful for this season that we have to to stop and consider all the things that we have to be thankful for. We don't want to be a complaining people, a people that have attitudes that are just focused on ourselves and wanting more and wanting what we don't have. But Lord, we just have so much in you. And I pray that we would rejoice in that today and that you would show us that 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 has power to really bring us true freedom, maybe some freedom that, that some of us have never even tasted before. And what a sweet thing to be able to lay your head down on the pillow at night and know I'm free. There's no condemnation, no guilt, nothing I'm hiding. There's forgiveness and healing. And so I pray that your spirit would be present and that you would comfort us and challenge us with your word in this. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we're in Ephesians chapter five, looking at verses primarily verses three and four here, but I want to uh, get just a little bit of context because we don't just like drop into chapter five and, and, and forget that there's kind of been a, a flow of thought and argument that Paul has been building here. In fact, he just gave us a really significant principle back in chapter four, and it's the principle for how we grow as believers. And, and it's the principle that we call put off and put on. Put off and put on. In fact, I want you to look back in chapter 4, verses 22, 23, and 24. I've got it for you on the screen, but if you can look at it in your Bible and underline it and star it there, that'd be even better. Uh, but here we are. This is, this is the principle that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's, here's how this works. Verse 22, we are to put off. That's the old way. That's, that, that's before I met Jesus. And now that I know Jesus, that's not who I am anymore. Uh, it doesn't belong in my life. Get rid of it. Stop sinning. Put that off. 
But, but, but then there's another part because we need to be, uh, verse 23, renewed in the spirit of our minds, meaning we're going to think different like, d- differently now. Our, our, our minds have been washed by the water of God's word. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. I know who I am. I know it's true. I know Jesus. The gospel is bringing clarity. So I think differently. That's, that's not me. That's the old me. I'm putting that off. And then I need to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm going to be like God. Second Corinthians tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old is past and new has come. We're going to put that off and we're going to put on the new self. So, so a few years ago, I preached on this text, and, and some of you may remember, I, I started by preaching in a Dallas Cowboys jersey. Remember this? And I'm like preaching in a Dallas Cowboys jersey, and then at this point where we're supposed to put off, there's this point where we have to take off this dead, rotting, stinking carcass of an old self, take that off, and then put on the new self, the, the Washington Redskins jersey, which I feel like that illustration doesn't work anymore, and so I decided not to use that, but the whole point is this. It's not enough to just stop sinning. Like, I'm, I'm glad you're trying to stop sinning. I'm glad you're trying to get rid of that. That's great. But, but what are you putting on in its place? There's something else that has to replace that. We want to be more like Jesus. And then he actually gives us just a whole bunch of examples of this in, in the rest of chapter 4. He kind of shows you how this principle works in some practical implications. He gives you one, verse 25. You see, hey, put off falsehood. Stop telling lies. But, but it's not enough to just, hey, don't tell lies. There's something else. It's, we, we learn to speak truth. And, and then verse 28, he gives you another example. He says, stop stealing. Put that off. Don't do that. But then there's something else we're supposed to do. We're supposed to uh, work so that you can share. And so, so this is kind of a helpful one because if I was to ask you the question, when is a thief no longer a thief? The answer is not when he stops stealing. Okay, like glad you stopped stealing, but the biblical answer of that is when he first puts that off, stops stealing, and then learns to work with his hands so that he can give, so that he's generous to others and he's giving it away. Do you see that? You gotta put off and put on. And then he gives you another, verse 29, there's corrupting talk. Like anything that's like tearing people down, put that off. And instead, use, it's not enough to just like, hey, don't say that. Now, what are we putting on in its place? We're using words that, that build up and encourage other people. You see in verse 31 and 32, we're put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, all of these relational sins. Put that off and instead put on kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So there's something I'm putting off and something I'm putting on. And then we come to this in chapter five. Here's impurity and sexual immorality. He's saying, put that off. And so there's gotta be something we're looking for for what we're supposed to be putting on Instead, like replacing impurity with what? You know it. And, 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 and we're going to look at it. We'll get to it in a minute. But when you know why, when you know why, hint, big idea. When you know why, you're going to see the power of the gospel to bring real, lasting change and growth in this area. So let's, let's do this. I want to uh, break this down. Uh, we're going to give the two steps here, two steps towards a life of purity. The first one's pretty obvious. You already know it, but we are to put off impurity. 
Put off impurity. That's what he says uh, in verse 3. Put this off. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named. So sexual immorality, there, that, that word in the Greek is the word porneia, where we get our word pornography. And the, the, the word really is kind of related to prostitution uh, historically, but, but it, it's referring to sinful sexual acts. In fact, it, it actually covers all sinful sexual acts. Okay, listen, listen. It's anything that distorts or deviates from God's design for sex. Anything that distorts that or, or deviates from the way that God designed it. So, so we're going to have to step back and just get a little bit of theology of, of sex because it's important for us to remember here that, that um, sex is God's design and God's design is good. It's a good thing. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God creates the world. He creates man and woman. He creates Adam and Eve. And at the end of chapter 2, they're there in the garden before sin, before sin. And the text says that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's, that's not a dirty verse. Like we, on this side of, of sin, you know, it's kind of one of those things we're kind of like chuckle about. But, but this is actually beautiful. It's, it's pure. You have to understand, God is not a prude. He's not like, ugh, sex, you know, it's kind of dirty. It's like a bad, no, no, no. Sexuality and pleasure are his idea. He came up with this. And his, uh, his design is good. It's not wrong. See, it's only when we reject his direction for how to enjoy it and, and, and we deviate and go out of bounds of his design that it becomes evil, that it becomes wrong. Make sense? So, so let's, let's get his design here. Um, this, this might be helpful. This is a really important verse for us to have, especially in our culture. I've got this for you on the screen. This is Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says this. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Okay? So sex is a beautiful part, not the only part, that's significant, it's not the only part, but it is an important part of the intimacy that is to be enjoyed by one man and one woman who have entered into the covenant of marriage. And what he's saying here is, hold that in honor, that is special. Don't, don't defile that, don't, don't mess that up. That's a beautiful thing that God has designed. So then, sex, and we don't want to get hung up on, like, like, technicalities here, like, well, what, what technically counts as sex? Is, you know, is this, is this too far? Or like, well, listen, uh, sexual fulfillment outside of marriage is sin. That's not the way God designed this gift to be used. In fact, Jesus is the one who kind of like pushes it even further than we would have been comfortable with because in Matthew chapter five, he says, man, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Like you don't even have to technically have had sex for it to be wrong. Even lust is a, a sin. It's wrong. And so if, if we're asking questions like, well, well, how far is, is too far? And, 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 and what can I get away with? Or am I allowed to do this? And is this okay? Wrong questions, wrong questions. Because Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians, he says, the body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So, so it's not like a focus on me and what I can do and what I can get away with. The question is, how can I use my body? Not for my pleasure, not for me. How can I use my body for the Lord? It belongs to him. Like, I want to glorify him with my body. 
Sexual morality is not that. So he says, sexual morality, verse 3, and all impurity. Uh, that, that word impurity means um, filthy, dirty, impure, uh, not clean. Okay, so, so just imagine that you're walking down the street and you're unwrapping some of your Halloween candy and, and you unwrap this little candy bar and it falls out and drops on the sidewalk. What do you do? Well, you pick it up and eat it because it's candy. And it's like five-second rule, right? And if it's candy, it's probably like more like 20-second rule. But, but, let's, let's switch the scenario. Imagine you're opening up that candy bar and it drops into a fresh pile of dog poop that your neighbor left there for you. The five-second rule does not apply anymore. Guys, seriously, it doesn't apply. Don't blow it off and pop it in your mouth. That is gross, okay? Like, I'm sorry, I, I really am. I'm sorry to use an illustration like that, but I had to get something in your mind that you'd be like, oh, why would you, why would you do that? Because that's the idea of this word. It's gross. It's disgusting. And all of sexual immorality and impurity, this is what God is saying. It's gross. Put that off. That's not the way I designed it. And so I think we have to get serious about getting rid of this in our lives. Because one of the dangers is the message that we're going to hear from people in our culture that are going to take something that, that has been distorted, that has been a gross distortion and perversion of God's design, and they're going to say, it's good, it's okay. In fact, uh, Barna Research has told us that, that most young people, and by young people they mean in their 20s and 30s, um, most young people think that cohabiting, uh, a man and a woman who are not married, just kind of living together, um, and, and, and things like sex outside of marriage and porn, most young people say that's not morally wrong. That's okay. In fact, some of them would be um, more frustrated with you for not recycling than going against God's design here. You know it's true. What, what's, what's more alarming is that it's even in the church. They found that... Um, 68% of church-going men and even 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that most of them know that that's wrong and are, are living um, with the weight of, of shame and guilt over that. But it's not just a men's issue. Uh, a third of women under 25 years old and 25% of married women search for porn at least once a month. And then we get statistics from like the Washington Post that tell us that 27% that of teens have received uh, sexting messages. My, my point is this. Like, they're going to tell you it's, this is not wrong. This is okay. And never before have we had such easy access to so much sexually explicit content. It's just thrown in our face. And what that tells me as I'm, as I'm looking out over people that I love, over a church family that I want so badly for us to be more like Christ, that tells me that it is likely that way too much of what has been clicked on, what has been uh, flashed on the screens of our phones and the TVs and the homes of our church family right here over the last month is what God's word calls impurity. It's filthy, it's, it's gross, it's a perversion of his design. And he's telling us, put that off. It's not who you are anymore. So we put off 
sexual immorality and impurity. And then he continues, he says, or, or covetousness. So this word is going to be super helpful for us because this word means uh, greedy. Just this excessive, uh, immoderate desire to get more and more and more. And I, and I know that Paul has uh, in mind uh, sexual perversion because it's the same word that he uses back in chapter 4, verse 19. Uh, verse 19, when he talks about unbelievers who are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Just greedy. So, so, so it includes our, our sexual desires of just wanting more and more and more. And what lust does is lust. Lust grabs, lust takes, it reaches for what's not theirs and just reaches and grabs after it. And I gotta tell you, that is not, that is the exact opposite of Jesus' example for us. Look at verse two. We're told to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus didn't come to take. He didn't come to grab. He came to give and he gave himself for us. Man, this is just, this is really going to help us get to the heart of what's going on in this issue because sexual immorality and impurity and, 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 and coveting, it's not loving. It is not imitating God as we're called to in verse one. It's really just putting our own needs above somebody else's and thinking of ourselves first and grabbing after what we want. And, and, I have to tell you, this is challenging for me, even in marriage, okay? We're supposed to be enjoying sex in marriage, but even in marriage, if it's all about getting what I want and satisfying my desires, that's not a reflection of what he's called us to or the example that he's, he's just set for us of his self-sacrificing love. It's not loving. That's just selfish. It's just, I, I want what I want it's not like Christ. It's not glorifying to him. And it actually is an indication of idolatry. In fact, the text says that, verse 5. It just tells us that if you're uh, covetous, that is uh, an idolater. It means this is really a heart problem. Okay, so what's happening is when, when, we're, when we have this kind of impurity in our hearts, these, these desires, I, I'm, I'm putting myself first as if I'm in the place where God alone belongs and I'm making my own sinful desires primary and, and, and I'm looking to what I want to fulfill me and to satisfy me and if it's anything other than Jesus, it's an idol in my heart. That I, I want this, I have to have this, this will make me happy. Like I have to have this, I deserve this. Like whoa, that ought to indicate for us that maybe we've got a heart problem here. And what he says, verse 3, is this stuff, it must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Like it doesn't belong in the life of a believer in Jesus who is a new creation, who's trying to imitate God in holiness. It doesn't belong. And then he includes, verse 4, uh, filthiness and, and, and foolish talk or, or, or crude joking. That's, that's all this talk that's just saturated in impurity and perversion. It means uh, obscene, uh, foolish, stupid talk, rash words, dirty jokes. And, 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 and admittedly, I'm just going to say this, this kind of makes it hard uh, because there's not a lot of humor left in the world of entertainment that's not this. And he says, it's out of place. It doesn't belong. That's, that's not who you are anymore. That's, that's the old self. And put that off. So how do we do that? We know we're supposed to get rid of it. How, how do we do that? Well, I want to give you three things. And, and, and 
Um, these aren't for the, on the screen, and, and I'm realizing we're going to have to kind of jump out of this text to, uh, to bring this to bear, but I, I want to bring some practical biblical theology, some other things that Scripture tells us to, to just really try to apply this. How do I put this off? Well, the first thing is this. Run. Run. First Corinthians tells us that we are to flee from sexual immorality. Don't stand and fight it. Flee. Run. It's like the example of Joseph, Right? In Genesis, when he was running away from the temptation because Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him, he literally left his coat in her hand and he took off running. I just, I think maybe there ought to be a few more believers that we would just see kind of randomly on the street just drop their phone and take off running. Run! Get out! Man, we, I've been down this street before. There, there, I know there's a hole there, there's a pit, I've fallen in it before, so it means I'm not gonna try to walk down that street again and try to tiptoe around the edge and see if I can make it this time. It means I'm running, I'm getting out of there, I'm gonna find a different street, I'm gonna avoid that one altogether. Get out, run, run. And the second thing is, is what Jesus says is a radical amputation, okay? I'm gonna run, and then we gotta radic- radically amputate this because he tells us in Matthew chapter five, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, tear it away. It's like surgery, man. This, is, this has gotta go. Get that sin out of here. And, and that does, please do not go out like literally, physically maim yourself, okay? We don't fix a heart problem with a knife. But what it means is if there's temptation that's causing you to sin, like I know Smartphones are, are convenient. I know the internet is super helpful. I, I, I realize that, that Netflix is, is relaxing, but if that's a temptation that, that's just weighing you down and causing you to sin, get rid of it. And if there's, if there's a growing hatred for sin and a desire for Christ, there ought to be a willingness to just radically amputate those, the, those temptations. Like, is it really that important? Like, I can't, I can't live without this. No, there's, there's gotta be a willingness to say, you know what, I can't, I can't handle this right now. I'm going to go get a dumb phone. I can't have unfiltered access to the internet. Can't trust myself in this. Just get it out. Get it out. So we run. There's radical amputation. And then, uh, shocker, there's accountability, right? I wish we had time to do this, but um, later on in this chapter, verse 8, he's going to tell us that we need to walk in the light. Walk in the light, because all of this stuff, it, it thrives in, in the shadows and in the darkness. That's why you try to hide your internet history. That's why you do this when nobody's looking, because we don't want anybody to see. This, this just, it, it thrives there. So what we want to do is come out in the light, step out in the light, expose this, and confess sin. James 5.16 tells us, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So some of the first steps in repentance is going before the Lord and just confessing, like, Lord, I know this is wrong. Please forgive me, and he does. And, and then finding brothers and sisters and come alongside and just open it up. Just, I gotta get this out in the light. Because if I just keep this in the darkness, if I keep this in the shadows, it, it's never gonna get exposed. It's never gonna get dealt with. I need you to know that this is, now we, we don't go out and we, we're telling everybody and not everybody is give, uh, given the grace to be able to handle that with us. But these are people that are trusted that can come alongside of us and encourage us in this. Let's get it out and confess these sins knowing Ecclesiastes 4 says that two are better than one. Uh, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. So do you have somebody in your life that can walk with you that can pick you up when you fall. We've got to put off impurity. But that's just putting off. That's, that's not enough. 
And I think, unfortunately, uh, too often, all of our attempts to pursue purity kind of end there, just like, stop sinning, starve your eyes, don't do that, don't go there anymore, that's bad. But, but the principle was we're to put off and then what? So what is it that we're putting on in its place? The answer is right there in the text, verse 4. Oh, man, this is so powerful. All of that, we're getting rid of that, he says, verse 4, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. That's the second step then. Note that. Pretty simple. Put off impurity. Put on thanksgiving. And I want to tell you, this is such a game changer. And until you get this and you understand how the gospel has the power to change your heart, you're going to keep on losing that battle. I know you're trying to get rid of it, but you're going to continue to fall back into this. And so let's just, let me ask the question that maybe some of you are kind of thinking, because I know I think about it when, when, when I look at this. Why, why Thanksgiving? Why, why like, like, how is that the opposite of impurity that we're supposed to be putting on in its place? Like, I, some of these are pretty clear. Some of these are easy to understand. Like, don't lie, tell the truth. Like, I get that. Don't steal, start giving, working and giving so that you can share with us. I understand. Why, why Thanksgiving? Well, I want you to think about what's happening in the heart, what we've just seen. The heart of impurity is, is lust. It's greed. It's, it's give me, give me, give me. I want more. It's taking what is not rightfully yours, what you don't have. But a heart of thanksgiving is content. A heart of thanksgiving can look at temptation and say, I already have everything I need. I have way more than I need. I have way more than I deserve. So why would I need that? Why would I want that? Do you see the power in this? Thanksgiving is a mark of maturity. Is this, I know we kind of joke about it, you know, our, our attitudes sometimes. But listen, if, if, if you have a complaining attitude or you're just easily irritated and grumpy and focused on what you don't have and focus on, on, on what you want, you got to know you're opening yourself up to all sorts of temptation here. And, and, and sexual temptation is the allure of what's not yours. But do you know what you already have in Christ? Because when you know that, when you, when you understand what you have, how could you think ever think that anything else is better? He is so much better. And, and this is not just a duty, like be thankful whether you feel like it or, or, or not. It's just recognizing what ours in Jesus, the gospel has the power and genuine thankfulness destroys a heart of lust and greed. Because you see, everything else is a waste. It, 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 this doesn't satisfy that, that's why there have been uh, so many times where you've uh, looked at, at, at pornography or you've gotten some sort of sexual gratification that you knew was wrong. And, and, and sure, maybe it felt great in the moment, but then it left you feeling empty and miserable. And even though you would say like, you, you love it, you also hate it. Which is why scripture says in Isaiah 55, why, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? It doesn't work. He says, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Don't waste your time and all of your energy running after instant gratification that's not gonna fill you up. Sin never satisfies. Never satisfies. But, but, but what he's saying here is God wants you 
to be full of joy. He wants you to find infinite happiness, but he just knows that it's found in him. Nothing else. He, he says, I want you to listen diligently to, diligently to me and, and delight yourself in rich food. I want you to come to a, a banquet. Don't waste your pursuits on lesser things. One, one of my favorite uh, quotes from this is uh, C.S. Lewis. One of his sermons, he said it this way, we are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He says we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This, this is the stupidity of sin. That when Jesus comes along and he says, man, I want to take you to the ocean. Come on, I'll take you to the beach. We're like, nah, I'm good. I got my little mud puddle here. Really? There's something infinitely better than what you're settling for. Do you, do you just sense that this is life-giving? That, that, that when you realize that Jesus is so much better, you'll, you'll be so thankful that you belong to him and, and that he is yours that impurity loses its appeal. Why would I want that when I have Christ? You get that in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He wants that for us. Now, I know that some of you are, are so weighed down by uh, guilt over sexual sin. It would be a mistake for me. I mean, it would be death for me to just, like, load you down and try to uh, motivate you by shame and guilt to try hard. I do not want to do that. I want you to look to Jesus. And I want you to see how great and glorious he is and replace idolatry with worship. That I'd recognize only a stronger love and a desire for Jesus can eliminate my appetite for sin. This is why there have been so many times where you hate it. You've been in, you've been in that place where you're just like, man, I've done it again. And so you put a stake in the ground. You're like, this is it. I'm never doing this again. I'm never going back. And in your mind, you're kind of hoping that you mean it this time. But, but in the back of your mind, you kind of know, like, it's probably going to happen again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall back into this. The problem is it's because you want it. Even though you hate it, you still have the taste of sin in your mouth. You, you taste it so it tastes good and you want that. And yet you hate it because you know it doesn't fill you up. And so I want to be real with you here. This, is, this doesn't just happen overnight. This isn't just a miraculous, like, boom, that desire's gone. We're going to need to grow in, in a new desire to get a better, stronger taste and a deeper appreciation for Christ and all that I have in him. And I'm telling you, I love the old hymn that says, when I look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He is so much better. So that I would get to the point where I actually want him more than I want my sin. And if you are um, choking and, and suffocating on, on, on guilt, just, just breathe the gospel a little bit. That 
Just breathe this in. God is, God is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much he loves us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. If we come and we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives even when we don't deserve it. He washes us and makes us whiter than snow. He gives us a, a, a clean heart. He restores the joy of his salvation. He gives us strength. He, he helps us and empowers us and, and provides a way of escape in temptation. We don't have to fall into it anymore. He gives us that power and he sets us free. We have so much to be thankful for in Jesus. And I just want, do you, do you, do you know the power of thanksgiving? For purity. I, I talk to a lot of guys about this, and, and one of the things I just tell them, like practically, it's gonna take a little while because we're gonna have to get a new taste, get a new desire. And, and so, one of the things I tell them to do, just honestly, you could just go live in Psalm 103 for a while. Like, just go swim in that every day. And, and, and just keep reading these truths. He says, bless the Lord of my soul and forget not all his benefits. And he starts listing them out, all these things that we have to be thankful for. And then, then write a list of 100 things uh, that you're thankful for. Like, I, it's not the number. Just do something that's gonna challenge you a little bit to have to consider what Christ is, who he, who, who he is, what he's done for me, all the blessings, everything that he's given me. I wanna grow in this I just want to encourage you to spend more time reading his word, thinking about what you have in Christ, and learning to say thank you. Growing in a heart of thanksgiving. Ah, there's so much power there. Here's what I want to do. I want to spend just a moment praying. I'm going to have the worship team come. And I, uh, again, I realize that it is very likely um, that this has touched many of you. And, and so I want you in the quietness of your heart to just spend a moment with the Lord. We're just going to spend a little bit of time praying. And I think it would be appropriate. Some of you just need to do some business with the Lord and confess sin. And it's, it's, it's confessing, not just like, Lord, I did it again, but Lord, uh, it, it, it's saying what sin is. I, this is an idol. I, I have wanted this more than I've wanted you. That's wrong. And, and confess that. Confess that sin. And, and, and then there's the moment we, we turn around and realize that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what else you say to that, but thank you. And spend some time thanking the Lord and ask him to give you uh, new desires to learn to put off impurity and put on a heart of thanksgiving. Let's just spend a little bit of time uh, with the Lord right now.
Father, just thinking about this this week, I'm so thankful that you would send your son. You didn't, you didn't come to beat us over the head with this because we're failing. You came to give your life. So it's grace. Man, you show so much patience. Sometimes we struggle with this, and some of us have been caught in it for a while, but there is power. The power of the resurrection is alive and well in us as your spirit is filling us. May you give us freedom. May you lift us up, draw us out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set our feet on a rock, put a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to our God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Make us more like yourself, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name.